Welcome to The Future Strategist with James Miller. Today, an emergency edition where I'm going to talk with Greg Cochran about the coronavirus and what we think Donald Trump should be doing today. Greg, what do you think is happening with the virus? I think it's spreading outside of China pretty in several significant places. It seems to be spreading pretty rapidly in South Korea, in Iran, and in northern Italy. What are the chances that there are lots of people in, say, New York or San Francisco that have the virus? If by lots you mean tens or even a hundred or some number like that, it would not surprise me. I mean, tr people travel. Uh, th I mean, people have been traveling back and forth between China and the United States. You mentioned some examples you know of. Yeah, there uh, are. Recently. I know there are students at my college that did not make it after Christmas break to, to the United States because they were stuck in provinces in China under quarantine. This has to mean that there are students across the country that just barely got out before the quarantine. So there's there's got to be a bunch of people in the United States that have this virus. I mean, almost certainly. And people are catching it by uh, non-direct routes. Uh, I'm trying to remember one of the places where people caught it was from Iran, not from – was that northern – one of the cases in northern Italy? At any rate, you know, logically, you're going to see multiple paths used by the virus as it spreads. And how infectious is it compared to other diseases, other – like the flu? It seems pretty comparable with the flu. Uh, I would say the way in which it's worse is it's – uh, nobody is immune to it, so the number of people it can attack is much larger. Uh, and so, would an analogy with that be: there's a forest with the flu. Some of the trees are like fireproof, while with this, none of the trees are fireproof, so it's far more likely to spread and spread more quickly. Yes, I mean uh, the density of resistant people affects the R naught. You know the number of new cases. Uh, the the thing that normally stops an epidemic assuming nobody has any treatments or vaccines or something, is eventually enough people have had it and are generally immune after they've had it that uh, the fraction of people that are vulnerable goes down, and that also decreases you know, how, how easily it can spread. Uh, so, for example, in the 1918 flu, I think they've made some estimates. It doesn't look like everybody in the United States got it, something more like half. Not all of those people were terribly sick, but um, you know, but you know, the, the 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 epidemic stopped when enough people had had it. It didn't stop because people developed a flu vaccine for it in 1918. They didn't even understand. They knew it was an infectious disease, but they didn't know the nature of the pathogen. Uh, they knew viruses existed, but they misdiagnosed it. They thought it was a bacterium back in 1918. Now, do we know with this virus that once you catch it, you develop some immunity? I don't think I know. Somebody in China might have enough experience to know. I I can say that that is far more likely than not. Most For most uh, infectious viruses, that's the case. It's not the case in every single one, but it is usually the case. Uh, so I think it's a it's a it's a reasonable working uh, theory at the moment, although, you know, people are watching and uh, studying it and we'll know more. OK, so what's the likelihood that this is going to become epidemic in the United States that say at least 
I don't know, one out of 10 people are going to get it. Seems very high, well over 50%, unless we get lucky in some way that is not necessarily going to happen. Uh, I, I don't know what would st- stop it. Uh, the uh, It's hard to stop these things from, you know, I said, you might call it saturation is when it's infected enough people that, that it stops itself, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, right now, I would say with the kind of precautions and stuff we're doing, they aren't a whole lot different from not doing any at all. And, uh, I mean, we are doing some inspection of people who have come from China, but I don't think we're checking everybody who came from Italy. I don't think we're checking everybody who came from South Korea. Probably not a whole lot of people are moving back and forth between Iran and the United States, <laughs> but, but Iran does communicate with other places that do. Uh, so, uh, I think we would need to be doing more testing of people other than just the ones that are obvious risks. I mean, not just people who just flew in from China. They should be doing, if possible, some random testing. And, and also, when you can't do that, you'll be looking for something like there's a funny flu-like thing happening at a high level in City X. I think that we can do without a test. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else would uh, how, I mean? How drastic do you think we should go right now? If you if you were advising Donald Trump, what would you be suggesting he do besides what you've just mentioned? Uh, Is it time to close the schools, for example? It might be. Uh, they're closing them in places like Italy. Yeah, northern Italy, they've closed the schools. But it's the, you know the cat's sort of out of the bag. The problem with this sort of thing is. The most effective things to do, if you do a really effective job, you'll look like you wasted your time because, well, there won't be a disaster. And then everybody will say they'll only remember the inconvenience. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, here we have the possibility that you'll get to watch the disaster happen to someone else, which could be hopefully educational for the rest of us. You know, this is what confused me about the public reaction. I mean, there's an enormous disaster in China, and this doesn't seem to be scaring Americans. Well, I mean – I would say as if things have if the Chinese numbers are accurate, it is a serious problem, but not a disaster because the total number of people they're saying have been killed is a couple of thousand. Okay, although there's a huge economic cost in terms of the things they're doing to try to restrain its spread are very costly. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like air traffic in China has probably dropped ninety percent. Uh, they're welding like people into their apartments so they can't leave. I have not seen the details of that, but that would, does sound kind of bad if it's happening. Uh, but but the point is, even in China, it does not seem likely that these methods will work in the medium to long run because they they can't afford to stop the economy in its tracks forever. And if they do stop it, let's suppose they have suppressed it everywhere in China. Well, it, they haven't, but let's suppose they succeed in doing that. Then if they relax, and they have to relax at some point, which certainly there's very strong incentives to do so, it'll it'll leak back in from the outside because they're not controlling it in Iran. They're not controlling it in Italy. They're not controlling it in South Korea. And there's many other not controlling it in that cruise ship. So, you know, if, as the Chinese are essentially claiming, they've dropped the r not a whole lot by their social control movements, th- if they relax them, it will come back. I mean, uh, I don't see why. It doesn't look to me like it's a long-term success. Uh, 
Now, and by the way, it is not essential that you stop it forever. If you can stop it long enough that you can develop other means of dealing with it, that is a reasonable goal. The goal of stopping it forever is probably not possible for most countries. And we'd also like to spread out when we get it so we don't overflow our hospitals. And you know, we, we want there to be doctors and electric workers and people to keep up the Internet. You all want one. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that, that as if they couldn't listen to this podcast, that would be the end. Well, then people, the, that's the only hope of keeping people indoors is if the Internet's working. There are books. Or there, I, I have books. Some other people have books. Well, no, anyway, but if the power doesn't work, won't eventually our Kindle and e-readers won't work, then there's no more books, right? Sorry, I shouldn't be joking. <laughs> the uh, uh, one thing that we have an advantage over China is if we – decided we need like here's the scenario let's suppose we see very bad things and and they're happening earlier somewhere else than here mm -hmm. so we have a chance to learn from them we have a chance to get at least a little bit ahead and then we started doing things to have tremendous restrictions on people's running into each other and moving around and so forth we could at least for a while go further at least in principle we could go further than china because the fraction of people doing utterly essential things is almost certainly lower in the United States than it is in China. I mean, on the simplest argument, they used to have more people farming than we do, a higher fraction of the population. Uh, and I think that we might be pleasantly surprised to find out that, you know, 90, 95 percent of everybody in the country is doing something that isn't absolutely essential. Yes, yeah, certainly uh, for three months. I mean, a lot of people could, you know, and there are things where you could get most of the benefit by doing something online, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably true of teaching most classes for yeah. most – not everything, but most things. And if you can get most of the good uh, while still making people a lot safer than they would be, that seems like a, a reasonable thing to do. Uh, I know that they've shut down schools in places like like you know the worst province in China. I know – that they apparently, I think they're closing uh, things in uh, northern Italy now. But that's a very fast-moving story. I don't know exactly where they are as of this hour, but you know there was a big, uh, uh, some sort of a, uh, uh, carnival, a Mardi Gras festival in Venice, which they're just closing apparently. Uh, now, why are people so much more afraid of the spreading than the flu? Well, the reason they, I'm not sure they are, but they should be. Why the reason should they do it, then, yeah. Because it looks like the lethality is 20 times higher. Instead of a tenth of a percent, it might be two. And that's a rough number. It might be one and it might be three, but it's something like that. So it's much more deadly, not deadly in the sense the Black Plague was, but enough to be a risk to many people. And, well, imagine what would happen if it spread until, let's say, it, it infected half the people of the United States – uh, before it's you know burned out in terms of you know having a high enough density of susceptible people, and that it then killed one percent of it. That's a one and a half million people. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and that would seem to me to be worth a fair amount of effort to prevent, or let's say to try to prevent, because you can't be sure you'd succeed. And what's the likely difference in death rates between if you get good medical care and if the healthcare system is overwhelmed and you're not getting good? Healthcare. I don't think we know exactly, but it looks to me as if if you're in a situation where you're starting to have these, you know, lung problems and breathing problems, that if you have a place that can uh, 
give you oxygen, can give you mechanical ventilation, that, that your chance of pulling through are a good deal better. So I think of this as there's two regimes, you know, uh, treated with fairly professional care and not treated with professional care. And the reason you have to think about the second regime is because there are only so many hospital beds in the country, and if they're all full, then the people who with these problems would get to the point where they couldn't all be treated. That's apparently what was happening around Wuhan is lots of people are probably not able to get the treatment. I mean, the treatment doesn't make you bulletproof, but it, it probably helps. I couldn't give you the exact numbers. My, my guess is it makes the difference between something over a percent and something uh, if you don't have treatment and something under a 1% risk of death if you do. Uh, although it could be that, you know, they're treating it all wrong and, uh, and it makes no difference at all. But I don't think that's the case. And do you know how many hospital beds there are per se thousand Americans? I think there's something on, around a million hospital, like about one for three hundred people, about a million hospital beds in the United States. Okay, so I mean, that also means with a nurse to attend them and stuff like that. Okay, so just to work through some of the math, so there's a million hospital beds. Let's say ten percent of our population has thir say thirty million have it at once. How many of those do you think would have it severely enough where they would really they really should be in a hospital? It's hard to be absolutely sure because in China, you know, there's probably a lot of people with milder cases that are going undiagnosed. But let's say, uh, you know, of the cases they talk about as, you know, surely diagnosed, something like 20 percent are ending up in fairly serious condition. Okay. And so let's say let's say 10%. Let's suppose there were 3 million people who, if they all happened at once, our hospitals would be overloaded. I mean, our hospitals are actually fairly busy with people sick with other things too. It's not like they're all empty waiting. We, of course, a lot we, of those people probably are doing things that could be put off. I would say that uh, also considering it looks like uh, in, again, in Chinese conditions, there was a lot of transmission inside the hospital. Yeah. That, for example, if you were thinking about getting a nose job or, you know, you have a bad knee and you've been thinking, I suppose I should do something about that eventually. If I were in your shoes, uh, I mean, we're talking non-life-threatening things, uh, I'd wait. I imagine midwives are going to do quite a business. I mean, if you're going to give birth, you're going to much rather do it at home. That might be the first first time I've ever heard of of in you know in my lifetime in which midwives are actually might have an advantage over doctors. But even then, midwives would have to. You'd want a midwife that had not recently been exposed to anybody else. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a hospital is a bad place. Uh, to, as we all know, it's a place where you caught things even before this was a mm -hmm. problem. There were you know drug resistant uh, bacteria, other problems that uh, were a special problem in hospitals. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, yeah, at any rate, you know, it's conceivable midwives could be a relatively sensible choice for the next few months or something, which historically they've been at least moderately uh, a risk you didn't really need to take. Are uh, we there yet where a reasonable listener who can afford to do shows should just stay home and avoid going outside, avoid other people? I think it might depend where you were, but if you were in the Bay Area or New York or some other place that's likely to be kind of a leader in terms of exposure to lots of international travel and stuff, uh, you know, if you wanted to actually sit down and read all of Livy, 
uh, or uh, learn classical Greek, this might be a good time. Uh, you know, something constructive that will take you the next six months. You might also want to be monitoring what's going on outside. But by the way, the number of people in this category is I'm trying to think if I know anybody, maybe one guy. Uh, it's pretty small. Uh, but the other uh, some retired pretty small, the people who, who can afford to not go to work for six months or. And also are uh, living in a big city uh, and comfort enough. Most people aren't that comfortable being solitary that much. Uh, I mean, it isn't. Most people can't just make a choice and then stick with it just because logic leads them there. Rather, you know, it depends what the choice is. If the choice is I am going to use spearmint gum and nobody can stop me, yeah, you could probably do that. But there are other things that all sorts of people are well advised to do that they find very difficult, like stop smoking, like change their diet uh, to radically lose weight. Most people who try fail. Anyhow, the point is there's some things we could suggest that people – would fairly easily do, and there's other things that might be useful, and the number of people who do them would be infinitesimally small. I can't personally relate to that because what my brain most wants to do is stay at home and play video games all the time. I've got to tell myself, no, that's not a meaningful life. But if I could also say, actually, that's what I should be doing, then that would become really, really easy. Uh, and there might be some people with, with that, but that's a shock me. The, several well, that of would be an ex- had that preference, but that would be an example of something. That uh, you know you're you're reusing a preference you've already got, but there's lots of things that are difficult. Uh, I was just um, thinking of fictional analogs. I was uh, looking, uh, reviewing a, a, a story by Heinlein, mm-hmm. uh, the Puppet Masters, uh, and in that story we have some sort of alien creatures that uh, you know take over, you know, ride on somebody's back, control their nervous system, uh, and our hero is something like a secret agent fighting them, and he knows they've taken over the middle part of the United States. You know, spaceships have landed. They've, they're controlling important people. And the working theory of the uncontrolled part of the United States is they probably only control a limited number of important people. Mm-hmm. And then he investigates. He goes to Kansas City, and he's noticing things. It's summer. It's a hot day. Uh the swimming pools are closed. He People are mowing the yard, and he expects at least some of them would be either shirtless or wearing something pretty light. Hardly anybody is. He starts adding up these things. He said, he said I don't see how they did it, mm-hmm. but there are vast numbers of them, not just a few controlling. They must control 90% of the population. And then he decides to check it. So he he grabs one random guy and you know and this means looking at taking the guy's shirt off and looking at his back and he finds nothing and he says it doesn't matter the logic is inexorable he, he says i have enough guts to know where it points this was one of the 1 in 10 that wasn't i know what it is there's no other explanation for the other six facts he knows and then he goes back and tries to warn people because they're planning a military strike, which he sure will fail because it assumes there's just a few aliens there and mm-hmm. there's many millions effectively. And But he doesn't get home in time and nobody listens to him anyhow, uh, which is the natural course of the way, th- way things work. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking of science fiction novels, I 
with Werner Vinge's I forgot if it's a deepness in the sky or a fire upon the deep. One of those where he says societies inevitably collapse as they get too complex. That in his world, societies get sufficiently complex that something will go wrong and then it'll fall apart. And I was wondering, is that true? Obviously, we're probably going to have a big reduction in international trade. Are we more robust to that now than we were 50 years ago? Uh, or are we more vulnerable? We'd do all right, particularly if it wasn't forever. But even if it was a long time, we'd do all right. I think the we United, might too. I, I think the wealth reason is, a, is, is a cushion. Go it on. can be, but also we have one uh, Trump Trump card, I guess is what <laughs> you call it, although it has nothing to do with him. It's always been here or has been here for a long time. The United States produces an enormous amount of food. Yes. Um, and it is actually reasonably self-sufficient in fuel, too, which is a useful thing. Mm -hmm. And um, that means we won't starve, and that's real important. I mean, if we have to shut down air travel for several months and perhaps other travel, uh, international travel, we could do it. Uh, we would still have gas. We, you know, we could run our transportation, do all the necessary things, do a, a large number of only moderately necessary things, and we wouldn't starve. I mean, I think you're probably right, but what would concern me is, and I have no idea about farming. I'm at like Michael Bloomberg level, but like tractors use a certain component that occasionally breaks. It's made in China. It's been made there for a while. No one in America knows how to make it. And we'll discover if we're not trading with China that we don't know how to do things It just you know there's an economic story of how no one knows how to make a pencil because there's so many different things that go into it that the market knows how to do it and you rely on the market to get a pencil might it be that there are things that are really important that we don't worry about because we're buying it for three dollars from china but suddenly we can't we're like uh-oh could that be a case uh, could that be the case i think not not in the time scale we're talking about i mean for example uh, how long do you can you usually drive a tractor before it breaks down and you need a new part? More than six months. And the next question is, well, where would you get them if you – in the short run, I said you take apart another tractor. Mm. I mean you can scavenge. You can cannibalize. Uh, uh, there probably are things like that. They're really – I mean in, and in surprising places because you know, when you have lots and lots of international trade, and we have, we're at a fairly high point, uh, countries can be – uh, surprisingly non-self-sufficient on some things. But the first thing is think about the key things. The very first thing is, you know, like in World War One, just before it, there was a, a sort of an open, peaceful, uh, high-trade international um, pattern. Yeah. And there's all sorts of important things that people uh, said it's simply it's cheaper to buy it somewhere else. They were sorry when the war started uh, for some of those things. Uh Germany, for example, and was used to importing uh, nitrogenous fertilizers, mm -hmm. and they couldn't import anymore because of the British blockade. But they had invented just shortly before uh, a method of making synthetic nitrates, so you know they, that that worked. There were also chemicals that the British were used to importing from the Germans, and they found new methods of making them. These are chemicals that were very important in high explosives. There were things like that. But people managed. And, of course, one reason the allies managed is they could import, you know, if the United States produced any of them, that was an alternate source. Yeah. Today, uh, yeah, you'd feel it. But uh, as I said, you can cannibalize. Uh, lots of things actually can – the average electronic doodad doesn't have any 
or any or many moving parts, it would work for at least a couple of years. I mean, and the fact if if we had 10% of our cell phones stop working over a one year period, I think we could take the hit. Yeah, that that's certainly true. Uh, I mean, uh, in the long run, you could, of course, gear up to make them again. And in the medium run, in between there, you might have some shortages. But the most fundamental things, I mean, there are certain countries that could not completely cut off contact with the outside world because they aren't self-sufficient in food. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think Singapore could do it, right? No. Uh, and there are undoubtedly others. I mean, there are a lot of countries that are usually for irrational reasons, you know, farmers were subsidized or so forth. Uh, you know, there are countries that you would think would be importing food, but in real life, they're actually self-sufficient because of massive subsidies. Probably true of much of, of Europe. Mm -hmm. Maybe not every single country, but it's. I think it's true of France, for example. France exports wheat, even though, you know, the, it has some good land, but certainly not as much as many other places. But, you know, the, the yields are very high ultimately because of heavy subsidies. But uh, we, uh, I mean, also, none of this is forever. I mean, like, the natural time during which it would burn out by itself is probably less than two years. I mean, again, I'm reasoning by analogy with the 1918 flu, but that's probably the best model we have. Now, is there a chance this virus does permanent damage to the people who get it and don't die? It could be. I don't think anybody knows yet. I mean, if it caused some kind of lung damage so that your lungs weren't, even if you came through it, your lungs took a hit, it wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows, you know, someone in China might have an inkling at this point. But if it, if you lost 20% of your lung capacity, I mean, it, you know, that doesn't grow back. Yeah. Some things do. That's not one that does. Uh, or, you know, or you, you know, it's like kidneys. You lose some kidney function, you've, you've got less. Uh, you don't – now, you typically – most people have more than they absolutely need, which is why you can get away with donating a kidney. Mm -hmm. But the point is it doesn't – they don't heal. Uh, the capacity doesn't come back. Uh, certain things do. Livers, for example, can regenerate, but most things not so much. Uh, uh, so might there be something like that? I said it could be. I don't think we know. I mean some people are speculating that China's reaction is so extreme that it, it doesn't seem consistent with what we think about how dangerous the virus is. Or maybe they're the only one that is making any sense. Yeah. I would argue it's closer to that. Now, they probably knew more earlier than anyone else. I mean, one would think, uh, since it's happening inside them. And if they, you know, if all you would need, even if they were quite open, the mere fact there might be a time delay before certain things were published, maybe they have people in, in Beijing who see the stuff when it's fresh. But, uh, I mean, a lot of it is I think people are not very good at seeing logical implications of certain kinds of things. This is one of them. Uh, I mean, if the Chinese were saying, look, it's spread pretty seriously, it's going to be very difficult for us to stop it, and it's killing a percent or two or three, well, that would be a lot of people. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, 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 I mean, people say, oh, yeah, it's only a couple percent. Civilization would survive. I said, civilization survives all sorts of horrible, horrible things, but it doesn't mean the things aren't horrible. Okay, I mean, probably the death, the number of people, fraction of people killed in, of the world population killed in World War II is only 3%. Yeah. I mean, it's concentrated in certain groups, but, you know, does that mean it's, it's a nit? You know, if it's like a mosquito bit you, you should ignore it. Uh, I don't think so.
Uh, it's uh, now there are things that are worse, and again, civilization would survive. But it's reasonable if there's anything to be done to try to decrease the impact of disasters. That's a legitimate role for government, I would think, uh, is to try to make things less horrible uh, when they have a shot at it. Yeah, and it's worth sacrificing quite a bit to reduce that harm. It's you know worth suffering a lot of you know having closed businesses and closed schools to save a percent or two of people from dying. Well, I mean, um, I would think so, but uh, you know, nobody's you know the powers that be, Wall Street, etc. They're not talking as if they think this can happen. Now, maybe it's because they know a lot of things I don't. There. It's possible. There's a first time for anything, everything, right? But I think it's because it's hard for people. I said, look, the natural course, if you do nothing, is it infects on something like half the people and it might kill, what, a million, two million, three million people in the United States if you do nothing at all. Mm -hmm. Okay. The question is, can we make the numbers better than they would have been? Ideally, a lot better. Not just because, for two reasons. Not just because it's good to... I mean, if I had something where I could decrease the death rate by 20%, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah. But if you're thinking of long-term political survivor, Bible, you want to look successful, not just be successful. So, for example, if you could make it so that very few people caught it in the United States, whereas other countries were unfortunate examples of how bad it could be, they would, you would also have perhaps learned that it is possible to do useful things, mm -hmm. and you know, and people might support doing. Another useful thing in a future crisis, uh, uh, you don't. I mean, it's by the way, it's not at all impossible that you could try, even make a reasonable try, and fail. If the, it depends on how infectious it is, it might be that it's it's. We know it's going to be difficult to control. It might be, also particularly if we waited too long, it might be impossible. I don't know. Yeah, we're not even getting like messages blanketing television saying wash your hands a lot, don't shake hands with people that you meet. I mean that that would be so easy to to, to do and would have some effect at least on R not. Um look you know, look at things that have you know, there's modeling. Modeling can tell you things about past epidemics. Even if we didn't control them, there are things people did that modified stuff. When they closed schools in nineteen eighteen, it could slow the spread. Now, it didn't slow it enough. It eventually, you know, in almost all places, it ended up go going as far as it felt like going. It burnt out rather than uh, being beaten. Yeah. A few places managed to hold out long enough that they were insulated from this until it had died out on its own, like American Samoa. Uh, and I think New Caledonia, too. Uh, but... Uh, but the point is that is a more reasonable hope today. Like, do I think that we could isolate North America until it had died on its own everywhere else? I said, probably not. But what if, if we could slow it down? You mentioned if you can slow it down so the hospitals are less overflowing, so more people, like even if a certain large number of people end up having respiratory distress, if you can stretch it out longer, maybe the hospitals are can treat more of them, right? Yeah. And yeah. also, the bi I think the bigger hope is we know more. We can do more, but it all takes at least some time. We, you know, we have already sequenced the virus. In 1918, they never even identified the pathogen until years later. Yeah. Uh, 
They, one, one hopes there's experts in China watching and keeping good data of what treatments work and what don't. And some well, it's it's but, you know in a sense it's a little harder because it's although it's you know it's dangerous enough to be serious it's not overwhelmingly dangerous so if you treat somebody and they survive well most people are surviving anyhow you would have to treat a fair number of people and carefully observe what's going on to see if you're making a difference yeah but that's quite possible we should be well, able yeah, we to do that, do that. <laughs> we ought to be able to do all kinds of things i mean in the sense that you know there were you know there were people writing about the importance of you know controlled trials uh in books that were popular in the 1920s. Now, maybe all there's a book Aerosmith by Sinclair Lewis that that's part of the you you have to make the hard decision to not treat half of them so you can tell if the other if the treatment you do on the other half even works. Things like that. And I don't think it'd be hard for the Chinese to do that if they the Communist Party decided that would be useful for them. Well, that might be one of the examples in which your weakness is also your strength. Uh, yeah. uh, the uh, they've had maybe not the most savory reputation for respect for individual life in China for the last, I don't know, a couple of thousand years. Uh, but, um, but there are lots of things that people, approaches that people are trying to pursue. There's vaccines, and there's several kinds of vaccines that can, and different techniques for preparing them. There's, you know, developing a new drug against this would sort of take unpredictably long, but it doesn't take too long to try existing uh, antiviral drugs, you know, designed mm -hmm. against other pathogens, and see if any of. And also, you know, they're not, you know, they're not incredibly unsafe, or people wouldn't use them. You know, a cyclovir or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of those would be useful. I think people have been trying some of those. I don't think I have heard anything that indicates where anybody really knows yet whether they're helpful. They talk about anti-HIV drugs. I have no particular reason to think they work, but they, you know, they're safe enough to try. Is it possible to take the survivors and take stuff from their blood and put it in people who just got Probably. infected? That would be called serums, and we do that some. It was something that was a bigger thing a long time ago. It got largely replaced by things like antibiotics, but for example, in the 1930s, uh, I was reading a book by Lewis Thomas called The Youngest Science. He's referring to medicine uh, since it was sort of turning from not very useful when he was a young man to something that was very useful by the time he was in mid-career, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, you know, better, better drugs and so forth. But he mentioned one when he was in medical school. Uh, they People would get uh, pneumococcal pneumonia. It was also called lobar pneumonia. It killed a lot of people. Uh, you know, sometimes because they were old, sometimes because they were sick with somewhere else, something else. But, you know, it was a dangerous disease. Uh, but he said he and his fellow interns, they loved having a patient because they had serums against most of the strains of pneumococcal pneumonia. They would stay up all night typing them. By the way, we could do that faster today. But they had to culture them to see which strain it was. And then they would give you the serum, which had been developed by exposing a horse to this strain, to this strain of bacteria, and mm -hmm. then you strain out some. Basically, you're straining antibodies out of the blood of this horse. Uh, and uh, if you matched up the right version of the serum, people got very noticeably better within the course of a few hours. Mm -hmm. They said the reason they would fight for these patients is because it was one of the relatively few things they could cure. They liked curing people. It was. Now, all of this got much easier in just the next few years. And in fact, people mostly stopped using, the, at least on 
on the, on that particular disease serum therapies. There still are some that are used for certain cases, uh, but like the first thing that happened was the sulfa drugs, which was in the late 30s, and then in the 40s, penicillin and then other things. So people tended to switch to those. For one thing, they would work on all the uh, strains of mm-hmm. pneumococcal pneumonia, not just you know six out of the of the main ten, that sort of thing. Uh, there are things people could do today that at least would be slightly useful. I think we talked before. Would it be worthwhile uh, getting a, a shot for pneumococcal pneumonia? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, they, it's recommended for people over 60. Uh, uh, like one of the things that's probably involved, and I haven't seen the details, but it's always been true for everything else in history, is that a lot of the people dying, are they're having complications. They're getting secondary infections. Mm-hmm. Uh which, by the way, is probably even easier in the hospital. But it might be that if you were inoculated at least against a couple of those, your chances are slightly better, and it's not a terrible idea. I mean, for, I would say for everybody who's already recommended as a standard recommendation to get pneumococcal pneumonia, sure, go ahead and do it. I mean, mm-hmm. you probably should have anyhow. Uh, uh, I don't know, but I don't think it makes a lot of difference. I mean, uh, as I said, it is likely that there are secondary infections contributing to some of the deaths here, but I don't know any of the details. This whole thing is pretty new. I haven't mm-hmm. seen anybody talk about this, although perhaps there's been some some article somewhere about it. Uh, but but most but typically that happens when people are very sick with X. They often catch Y, which makes things worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so yeah, opportunistic but, infections. But, yeah, uh, although you know. This one is, it's different from AIDS. AIDS knocked out certain components of your immune system. Here, I think it's more like general de- debilitation, I think we're talking. I haven't heard that this is immunosuppressive or anything. Uh, AIDS was, uh, mm-hmm. and is. Uh, uh, by the way, that is one interesting question, which we will probably unfortunately find out the answer to relatively soon, which is, do people, let's say, with controlled HIV, which would be the common situation in this country, since typically people are taking effective medications for it, are they more vulnerable than average? I would guess that they have about the same vulnerability as other people, but it's conceivable that it could be worse. I mean, it's not a plus even to have a controlled uh, HIV infection. We'll see. Uh, and I could say the same for a number of other diseases that are around. If you said so-and-so has hepatitis C. Is he more vulnerable to this? The answer is he might be. I, I simply don't know. But probably but if, if you're a smoker, you are more vulnerable because if the lung problems. Is that, right? uh, that that seems like a pretty reasonable guess. Well, even there, I don't know for sure. But they've been seeing higher fatality rates among um, among men, for example. And smoking is a lot more common in, than, in men than women in China. Uh, and it's a lot more common in either group than it is here. So that might be one moderate plus we might have. I would guess, and again, it's a guess, but the guess is getting a little more reasonable with time, unfortunately. There were, for a while, people saying maybe it will only affect them, and I only say Chinese. And I'm saying probably it doesn't care. Mm-hmm. There have been cases, there are known diseases, historical examples that hit certain groups more than others. The typical reason for that is those groups have been exposed to it for uh, rather, the resistant groups have been exposed to it for a long time and have evolved some defenses where the super uh, uh, vulnerable groups are ones that never were exposed to it. Here, it looks to me like no one's been exposed to it, so you know we're all equal. Uh, but you, know, you, you don't know until you watch. But 
I heard people say that. I said, well, but it does affect Iranians mm-hmm. and Italians. I mean, I don't know about the exact, uh, you know, I don't know the statistics yet because the story is still new there, but they're not Chinese. Yeah. Although we have to separate out, right, whether you get how infectious it is for different groups and the death rate for different groups. That could diverge. A lot of those things could change, but I would guess the biggest reasons for the changes would be um, – Things like uh, you know social circumstances, probably. I mean, in the sense that, like, if you have a place where people are more crowded, uh, it would seem more likely to have uh, to be spread easier. Uh, all else equal, if you had a place where uh, you know something as simple as uh, there's more square foot per student in the in a particular college or something, mm. they might you know be a little less likely for their sneeze to communicate to another person. We know things like that have mattered for some other diseases, just getting, you know, sort of more uh, higher standard of living, living circumstances tended to be helpful and it tended to reduce the transmission of things like tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. It, it might help here. I mean, who knows? Uh, uh, but, you know, the general picture is one, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it could, it could be, it could, for example, without doing anything really extraordinary, killed some millions of people. And, uh, and I think there's some people who are saying, I've heard all sorts of interesting reactions to this. That, well, I've lived a full life. I don't really care. And I remember thinking, would you care if I held a gun to your head? Because I bet you would. Uh, I, you'd probably grab it away from me or something. Or I've heard people say, well, I don't think it'll hit me, so I don't care. And I said, well, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 and uh, or, you know, there's there's. And I think I also see some people. I'm pretty sure they're just saying it won't happen because it would depress me. And you know, I can I can wish I can will it away by. And I don't. And if they can, I'm impressed. That's all I can say. I doubt if they there's that there are people saying it's horrible, so it can't happen. I don't think it works that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think, like as I said, the real goal that we should aim toward for I would say is to well look if, if you know. There could be things we don't know. People were saying maybe – I think Trump was saying maybe it will get better when it's warmer weather. Some things do. But this one, it's been fairly warm in northern Italy, and it hasn't done it. Well, Singapore is doing a pretty good job controlling it, I think. But they haven't stopped it, and mm-hmm. it is tropical. Uh, I think they're probably mistaken on that, although – you know, and even if they – by the way, there's an intermediate thing in which it does decrease – it spread slows down in the summer and, and spring, and that that doesn't mean it goes away necessarily. Particularly since there's the whole world for it to run around, but yeah. it also might give us more time to do useful things. If it was spreading kind of slowly in the summer, it doesn't mean it won't come back in the winter, but it might give us more time. Time is a good thing. Um, stretching it out is good. Although I I I would aim higher. I would aim for you know before most people get it in the United States, we have a useful treatment that tremendously reduces its danger or that slows down its spread or something. Should we be Um, building a lot of hospitals right now? A lot of, we're trying to expand our capacity to treat people. We would have to go through some sort of mental mutation to be able to do anything rapidly. Uh, particularly that, I mean, the United States is sort of famous for any sort of public works being slower than anywhere else on the whole 
Earth and far more expensive at the same time. Yeah. I mean, we're, I'm talking factors of like you you thought about this, haven't you? Things like about the cost disease of building yeah. stuff yeah. and how it takes literally eight times more to do the same. And even and we're not comparing it with a place where you have cheap labor. I mean, it's eight times more expensive than it is in France or Germany. It's just impossible to do anything, particularly in at a, for government projects. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, you know, I mean, technically we could. We could do all kinds of things, but you would have to, the first thing you would have to do is say, there are a bunch of laws that regulate how we do X. Screw every one of those laws. We have work to do. It is not impossible to make a transition like this, but I don't think we're going to do it unless, like, you know, for us, the most fortunate thing would be things that happen in other places happen early enough before they happen here that we have a chance to learn from it. So let's suppose that, uh, you know, what would this take? You have a, you need a country that's at least truthful about what's happening so we can learn from it. With China, I don't guarantee that. Mm-hmm. But let's suppose, uh, things get out of control and how many people are in there in South Korea? 30 million something? Yeah, I'm not sure, but some number like that. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's suppose it kills half a million somehow before it's become big in the United States. I don't think the timing works out, but suppose it. I would hope we could learn from that. I'm not sure we can learn from anything much more, uh, less because people don't – I mean, many of the things we're talking about would are disruptive to business. I mean, you know, they're all things you could recover from, but they all cost money. They'd all hurt certain people's interests. Uh, Isn't there – a plan at the highest levels of government to deal with disasters that are kind of predictable? No, there. Next stop. Are you really sure of that? There isn't, there isn't, there's not something where Trump's like, you know, in the movies, the aliens have landed. Well, we prepared for this in 1950. It's plan Omega. Well, if we did, we could have have lost the plan somewhere. It could be, it could be in the back of some file cabinet. Yeah. I mean, but generally, no, I mean, like one, you know, for example, we know that in a previous epidemic where in certain parts of the world they tried quarantine and it worked, mm-hmm. in the United States we did not do it, uh-huh. period. That happened. The CDC has a track record of making the big wrong decisions when they have it to the effect, to the extent they have any input. Um, you know, if they had advocated for it, and been overruled, I would say so, but that's not what happened. They were against it, and they, we didn't do it, and I figure it doubled the casualties, something like that. They're yeah. like that. They, uh, I mean, one thing, I actually saw an interesting article. The guy was saying, well, you know, conventional wisdom in the epidemiological community was that uh, quarantines don't work. There's no point in even trying them in a modern society and so forth. They're saying, but it looks as if it may be working. By the way, I think partially and mm-hmm. it may be difficult to extend it as long as you would need but they say it appears to be working in china possibly and i said yeah but anybody with a brain would have known that it could work if you did it very thoroughly and uh uh you know the real problem was that the people in public health were insane yeah. and they are uh or or for that matter one would think that it would be reasonable to be really rushing the ability to do t- you know, enough random tests that you could detect a new point of spread fairly early. Right. Uh, I mean, there might be other ways than tests, but that would be, you know, part of your strategy. Uh, as far as I can tell, we're generally only uh, uh, testing people who came in from China. 
We're not testing people. I mean, at this point, you know there are other pathways. It could are be there some... good tests of this? Are there reliable tests? That's another question. I don't know how reliable they are. I don't think they're perfect. They seem to maybe be useful. Uh, but, yeah, we could be improving things. But uh, I don't know how long that would take. Uh uh, you know, I mentioned on my blog that I thought the right thing to do is when you have multiple uh, approaches and you have hopefully at least some time, we should probably be uh, pursuing all of them at once. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, the analogy would be the Manhattan Project. What's the well, which way do we pick to make fissionable materials? I said we tried four or five different ways. More really, some of them, you know, turned out that. We closed them down fairly early because they weren't competitive with one of the other ones. Uh, sometimes we even mix the two. So we'd say, well, we enriched a little bit with this process, but now we're going to take all that stuff we've slightly enriched and feed it into another. Uh, but we acted as if it was important. But yeah. here, I don't think we're acting as if it's that important yet. I think it's, I think it's hard for people to, uh, to see that if it keeps spreading from one person to two people that you know that you know geometric growth is not a part of most people's mental toolkit. No, I, I agree. It's weird though that there aren't any politicians who are trying to take advantage of this by warning now early. So if it does get really bad, they can say, "Hey, no one listen to me." You know, like Elizabeth Warren, or she's like almost no hope of winning right now. If she could bet on the coronavirus, say this is if, and then hang in until a month later, where she might look like uh, she. Yeah. Say we should, you know, I'm sponsoring a bill. We'll spend a hundred billion dollars to fight against this. There's no way, but there is probably a way to spend five. Okay, but but, yeah, the the numbers just for public consumption. uh, That that I know of at this point. Go ahead. Yeah, and she could, you know, and then if it paid off, I mean, essentially a lot of people died. She could say, "Look, I am a true leader. I warned when Trump didn't." But no one's doing that. It's it is not only the case that these people don't know enough to see these things themselves. They don't even know anybody who knows enough who, you know, who they would trust, who could tell them such things. You know, there's almost it's like if you're in the American political class, uh, you know, it's rare, I think, to even have in your social circle anybody who actually knows anything about anything. Well, I know you've mocked like the rationalist community before, but we're really worried about this. This is something that's terrifying us. So, Well, here's a question. I haven't been following them, and you may have. Were they worried as early as I was? Um, they were certainly talking about it. I don't know exactly when the two of you, the two community, when you were worried and when well, this, they were. This but... general pattern – that we have something new that spreads easily partly because of modern communications and that kills X percentage of the whole human race because we don't have any way to deal with it is, you know, in a sense, it's all been thought about before. People have done exercises. They've written simulations, etc. Uh, but, I'll, you know, that community is not strong on having a lot of actual knowledge in my limited interactions with them. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm not, but I could be. Uh, and uh, but we are uh, good at math, so we can we understand exponential growth. And well, that I hope at least that good. I mean, there are even there's even more to math than that. But the uh, well, I mean, let me give you an example in other fields where people could not understand it. Uh, uh, I remember, uh, you know, it looks. I'm going to slightly oversimplify. It looks as if a limited number of of the ancestors, the main ancestors of the Amerindians were up in the area we 
you know, which is now flooded, but we would call Beringia between, uh, you know, living in this area, which is sort of Western Alaska and a lot of underwater area that they were living there. And then perhaps because the, the ice was retreating a bit, they managed to slip past it and colonize the Americas. Mm-hmm. It looks, and we have actual genetic evidence that looks as if the number of people that started this was not very large, maybe a few hundred people. Right. Uh, and that, but then, through you know the magic of sex, after a while there were more, uh, and it doesn't take that long. Uh, so you know it looks as if you had people had had settled all all of South America down to the tip, within less than two thousand years after the first of anybody got past. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now I have seen anthropologists say I just can't understand how that could happen. Well, my model for how it happened, and it's pretty complicated. It's called. You know, you're in a place which is easier to make a living than Beringia was. There are, you know, edible plants. There's lots more animals. None of those animals have ever seen a human being. They don't even know to run. It's a, it's a good place to make a living for a hunter-gatherer. Yeah. It's warmer. It's warmer too. It's nice. Okay. Um, and then because life is better, they succeed on average in raising three children to adulthood as opposed to two. I mean, it had to be at least two, or they would have died out in Beringia, but let's, they now get to three. That means that uh, um, they double approximately every two generations. Mm-hmm. And let's suppose you go a 1,000 years is about 40 generations. Yeah. So you double 20 times, two to the 20th. What's that? It's about a million. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, instead of 300 guys there, I mean, in principle, if if... If, if they hadn't fought with each other or run into any limitations of any kind, how hard is it for them to fill up the North and South America? It's trivial. I said, but but don't they have to move a long distance? I said, yes, they have, during each lifetime you have to walk perhaps 15 miles, you know, to a new hunting ground, uh, maybe just to get away from your mother-in-law. Uh, it, you know, it's the whole thing is utterly. There's nothing magical or difficult about it, but. I saw a number of people respond to it. Well, how could that happen? How are, you know, like today, we're up to over a quarter of a million Amish in this country. Mm-hmm. Now, they're, they're not having three. They're having six. But uh, they all almost essentially all descend from a single ship that landed uh, in Pennsylvania back in the 1750 or something with less than 300 people on it. And a lot of them didn't make it because they ran into Indians. Uh, the... Uh, but that's all it takes. It's yeah. you know it's a simple process. It's not difficult or hard to imagine. But at the same time, it is hard to imagine. Uh, I've as I said, I've seen uh, more than one anthropologist say, "How could you have this vast multiplication?" And I said, "You know, yeah, you screw, you have babies, you walk slowly. You know, this is not that hard. Uh, but it's hard for them to see and." I think there are many processes like that that, I mean, A, they don't happen that often. Uh, when you have unlimited uh, you know, spread of something, typically something limits spread. It doesn't mm-hmm. tend to go forever. Although, you know, you could say, how big was uh, uh, Amazon 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. Not very, right? But uh, uh, I would guess that, you know, guys with big companies in Silicon Valley are a little – more knowledgeable about geometric well, growth. I, I've read Silicon Valley is very worried about this. They're canceling conferences. They're not shaking hands with each other. So, so far, perfectly yeah. reasonable. Yeah, I think a lot of 
I mean, I've been talking, I'm talking to a, a few friends who were talking about, I'm going to such and such a conference in Japan in June. I said, I don't think you are. <sighs> well, why do you make some predictions? When do you think airline travel in the United States will be mostly shut down? I don't know that it will, but I think it should be. There's a difference. Okay. Uh, and I don't say forever. And, and again, by the way, whenever I talk about what seems like a draconian policy of limiting, uh, movement of limiting, limiting, uh, you know, some liberties. I would say, you know, do it all in a flexible way in the grounds that, uh, guys, it really has gotten much better over the summer. All right. Let's, we might be able to relax. Or, hey, we found out you can cure it with Listerine. I said, great. We're golden now. I mean, if you get to the point where you have good control over it, you can stop doing all these obnoxious things. I don't want to do them just to be doing them. Now, the Chinese, I think they're saying, you know, it was always better if we were telling everybody, you know, every single thing to do. It's it's what we it's what we do. Okay, yeah. it's not what I want to do. But if it's the only thing that'll work, and it's for a temp, you know, it's for a reasonable amount of time, I would rather have a lot of, you know, restrictions on movement and human contact than have millions of people die. I wonder if most people just translate, you know, one percent of the population dies as zero. They just round it to zero and say, "Oh, that's." Seemed. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I've seen a lot of people reacting to it in funny ways. I. I mean, I. They just like they don't really know what it means. I. I don't. Yeah. I don't quite follow. I mean, have you seen any of this? Uh, because I see people saying, uh, "I mean, sometimes they're saying, yeah, it won't happen.' You know, Western medicine is too advanced." I said, "Well, we have. It doesn't count unless Western medicine actually develops a useful, actual thing. You know, it's not mm-hmm. something you can." You can't bluff a virus. You have to actually come up with the solution or, or a partial solution. <coughs> but uh, I don't really get half of the people's re- – I mean, uh, I heard people say, well, it's going to be okay because Wall Street thinks it's okay. And I said, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. that. I have a lot more uh, faith in Wall Street's analysis than you do. I know. Um, but I think there are reasons why people on Wall Street could expect this to kill a lot and they still – that wouldn't cause stock market prices to fall. One there of them was, is – be all kinds of companies that would go broke this summer because of travel restrictions and, and well, pure fear. Unless they and, get government bailouts. Since, I mean it could I mean, well be everyone's expecting, well, if this causes me to go broke, there there will be some bailout package and that's you know that's influencing. Maybe. But uh, – my simpler theory is they're not thinking at all. <sighs> that leaves a profit opportunity, though. You could be shorting these stocks, and why or are people you doing could be that? Taking all your money and buying pemmican uh, or uh, beef jerky and putting it. In, yeah, but uh, not, not if you're worth ten million. I mean, then you know, there's a limit to that. Invite, invite friends over. Uh, the uh, if I had ten million dollars, I would. Uh, uh, the uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but my usual bet on these things is because nobody has the faintest idea what they're doing, and it works almost all the time. See, I you think know. one of the things our species is best at, unfortunately, is getting the, the asset prices of well-traded companies correctly because we put so much time and energy into that, and there's such great incentives that I actually think that's something we're very good at compared to most of the other things we do. Without a subsidy, I can think of certain, you know, companies like, uh, you know, Carnival, you know, the cruise ships, I, uh, I a, lot just... of, a lot of transportation companies, a lot of companies that depend, like, you know, 
look, one thing that happens is when you have situations like this is, what was it, uh, you know, recessions discover fraud that, uh, uh, that accountants don't. Suppose you simply have a company that says, well, actually, you know, we, we're making money, but we don't have a lot of, we don't have the sort of reserve that we're going to be able to cope with business collapsing for five months. Yeah, well, they might get subsidized, but there's an excellent chance many of those companies and a few with deep pockets will survive and the other ones will go broke. Yeah, no, you're actually, you, you spoke of Carnival Cruise. I was having an internet discussion with someone on Slate Star Codex Reddit and he was, he's pr- planning on shorting Carnival Cruise. It might, it might work. And I'm considering um, doing it myself. I'm not sure if I, I well, if my account isn't set up. I don't think to short stocks. I probably have to sign a whole bunch of documents to do it, but. We better do it soon. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Uh, you know the timing is is crucial on that sort of thing. Oh, definitely, yeah. But uh, but there's lots of um, there's lots of things that unless you assume everything's going to the feds are going to pick up all of it, there's lots of things that would suffer. You know, I've seen numbers like the number of cars being bought in uh, China right now is down, which is I think a larger market than ours, but it's only down ninety four percent. That yeah. that would seem. Or I saw an animation in which they were showing. You know, this they showed a day a year ago that a little map or a little visualization of all the planes, the major airlines flying planes around China, and the sky was thick with planes, and now it's not. Yeah, chart. Yeah, China's um contribution to global warming has gone way down. Yes, month or so. I, I should take credit for that. I remember that when Cuba was really on the rocks after the Soviet Union fell and the subsidies stopped, and they were doing things like. Uh, we're going to have a TV program on how you can take grapefruit rind and 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 cook it in a way that people can pretend it's steak. Mm. Uh, and the chi- and the guys in Cuba were saying we're not getting all the credit we deserve for all our decarbonization, mm-hmm. i.e., you know, the fact that things are grinding to a complete halt. Uh, why don't why aren't people praising us? Uh, and I said, you got a point. I mean, uh, other things about the stock market in general, and this is very morbid, but. You know, since it's killing mostly the elderly, and the biggest problem in the what U.S. About, is the entitlement life, crisis. What about life insurance? What happens to a company that all of a sudden has, you know, a hundred percent jump? In, that is in, really complicated because of the reinsurance market. It wouldn't surprise me if life insurance companies have purchased reinsurance to say if there's something, you know, that kills a huge number of people. I, I bet I, mean, I have no direct evidence. Well, but... then they wasted their money because the only way that you really survive a situation like that is you get the feds to bail you out because the money's too big. They'll never, you know, they'll never be able to. No, because you got Lloyd's of London involved. I mean, this, this is really it's it's a the reinsurance market is massive, and it's designed for things like an earthquake in Tokyo. This is a lot bigger than that. The life insurance market's bigger than destroying all the buildings in Tokyo. And remember, these had, are elderly; it, they're just dying. It, it, if I mean, the death rate – look, the number of people we're talking, if things happen in a possible but worst-case way, you, the death rate would be up 50 percent or 100 oh, percent for a year. But remember, I mean it's elderly people who would probably be dying, you know, unfortunately in a few years anyway. But it's and all how happening many of them have life insur- How many of them have life – oh, but that's okay. Markets they're are really more good likely, at handling They're that. more likely than anyone else to have life insurance. No, a lot of people have term life where they don't – it's not really worth having life insurance if no one's dependent on your income. That doesn't mean people don't do it anyhow. Oh, right. I know, but I, I doubt – I, I, I have a feeling it's not – this is way off course, but I, I think life insurance companies are 
they'd be ones I would predict would be most likely to take this into account because they would have had models of a virus like this. And then I can tell you exactly how they they take into account with with high high assurance. They cross their fingers. Um, I don't know. I have more faith in them than I think you. Do. I don't. I mean, like again, how would uh, insurance companies deal? Suppose you had a, a California earthquake that was. You know, as big as the 1906 one or something. There's reinsurance they, to take into added account. There's, there, huge, there's no way to pay all of it. No, there they, is because it's a, there's a whole bunch of really rich people that have a tiny amount of their money in the reinsurance market. They don't even realize it. They don't want to pay. What will happen it, is still the feds, will. the only people who will ever pay for it will be the feds. And everyone knows this. And this is one reason it's even seen any point to even buying ins- or insurance against that kind of big disaster. Because you're only, I mean, truthfully, there's not much point in, in buying private insurance because the feds will do their best to make you whole whether you bought any or not. Yeah, as, long that, as, you can, as long as you can vote. Yeah, it is a problem with the catastrophic risk market but i don't know well that's do you think insurance companies are making money when they do hurricane coverage along the coast i don't think people even buy it they just say a miracle will happen the feds will you know i will buy i will build my house explicitly out of sand and put it on a spit well you flood know, insurance is, is special we we do subsidize that massively so that's... but there are implicit ones i said will the feds I, no, come I agree. And try to pick it up the answer is sure they will yeah but that that that's dampens the, the martin signal and that's that is part of the reason why maybe we haven't seen a stock market reaction um i think um look but 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 according to your theory which is there's all sorts of pools of wisdom out there these people would be doing things to increase their personal safety but you know they're not because uh... we would have heard of it do I? I mean, I know Peter Thiel apparently has a home in New Zealand in part if there's an apocalypse. I wouldn't well, this isn't me. actually – he wouldn't be any safer from this in New Zealand than anywhere else. But, um, well, he might but, be that in New York City. I have two, a feeling he can start, stop anyone from getting within five miles of his New Zealand home and not in his New York City apartment. I wouldn't count on that, uh, but I would uh, – mm-hmm. But I would say that if you start judging the wealthy class in the United States by Peter Thiel, you might also be fairly wrong. Yeah. He probably thinks about a bunch of things that other people don't. In fact, I guarantee <laughs> that he thinks about things that no one else does. Uh, uh, I I'm think sure Jeff like, Bezos has thought this through and has proper models. Well, and... you know, if he was in his right mind, I would say yes. But right now, I think he's not thinking with the big head at all. Uh, yeah, he made that one mistake, but – you know, Jesus, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's an expensive one. That, that 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 lady went to the same high school as my kids. You know, they have things about her in the old yearbooks, most flirtatious. But, you know, <laughs> I'm I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there that's... is no accounting for tastes. I give well, I, I stop commenting on that. But but I, he does sound insane to me if he's hanging out with her. I mean, she's the sort of person who would give her text to her brother because, hey, look, a rich guy's telling me all these wonderful things, and now you can sell them to the National Enquirer. Uh, well, that is a weakness way, of some men. So, um, it's a human weakness. I will say yeah. that. Uh, but I said, but if somebody has to be so humanly weak, why isn't he being human weak about somebody who's a well? We yeah. won't. We won't. Yeah, oh, let, we won't let's not. Yeah, this is not. The, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. uh, there right. is no accounting for taste, but at any rate. It strikes me that our best hope is is that things, if they are going to go bad in other countries, well, the best hope is that a miracle happens and they don't. 
All right. right. The second best hope is if things go bad, they go bad in a very clear and obvious way, and they go bad earlier, as early as possible, so Let's that we have a chance really to learn. Let's be really optimistic. From. Say 2,000 people listen <laughs> to this. It's a good chance someone listening to this knows someone who can talk to President Trump. Maybe they'll take the opportunity and say, hey, you, it's in your self-interest and the interest of America to you know, take this really seriously and start – you know, restricting schools, restricting air travel. I mean, it's not probably going to happen, but there's a chance. I mean, people are networked. And putting some more, um, you know, if we have any reasonable looking opportunities. In fact, you know, one group I would talk to would be possibly DARPA. Uh, yeah, but, they probably would understand. I mean, that would thing. probably, you know, they could at least understand whether the, their over, expertise overlaps at all with any of the right questions. I I couldn't say, although there is supposed to be a sort of DARPA-like thing that they're trying to construct to do medical things, but I think it's very new and hasn't gone very far yet. But I would say you probably need to restrict travel. It might be that it's politically impossible unless it's, as I said, unless things become more obvious. But one thing that could not hurt is if we were trying to get maximum information on the situation in some other places, uh, there might be a number of ways to do that. Maybe we could even find something useful to do with the CIA. It's like, hey, you know, there's a place that's having a tremendous epidemic. We want to drop you in there. The uh, We did anyhow, but but you're also supposed to give us reports back. The uh, But, for example, if we knew better what was going on in Iran, if we had ways of making things more clear as to how serious it is there, it might be something we would like to learn quickly. So we might still have time to do certain things before it has spread very, you know, far enough to make things much harder in the United States. So uh, one thing you might be able to do is try to maximize information from some of these places. I don't know the extent to which the government can do that, but there, I mean, for example, you could probably at least tell something about the extent of of um, you know, if people aren't using private cars in a city in China, a spy satellite could probably tell you something yeah. about that. Uh, I don't know. You know, these are not exactly what these things have been designed for. I mean, they're more for counting missiles and things. But it's a, I know what they can see, and you know, they can almost read the letters on your license plate. That's roughly the resolution. You know, just almost that good. What useful things can we get? We can uh, from this. Uh, well, we certainly get a lot of information from South Korea. I mean, our military is already there. That, that's another thing. You know, in the places where there's fairly free flow of information, use it. <clears throat> Try to get the most accurate information you can. Uh, this would mean in some cases there will be things that people are spreading that they are mistaken about. <clears throat> if you can come up with a – not only should you come up with a try to come up with a clear picture, it would help if, for example, if these people said, "Look, our very best estimate, and no, we're not shading this because you know we're we're worried too." They uh, said, "Our best picture is this," and you sent this out every three days or something, saying it might be helpful. Uh, and you want to be scrupulously honest about it because the the point of sending it out is to let people know what the situation is so that they might support doing certain things. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell the truth. I said, well, what if the truth doesn't support you as much as a lie would? I said, they'll catch you. This is a fast-moving thing. If you lie now, you'll get caught within a week. Unfortunately, tell I think a lot of people think our biggest fear should be fear. So, uh, I don't think so. I mean, for example, like if 
like if we overreacted and then it it died out for its own mysterious reasons, I think we'd just stop. Mm. Uh, uh, I would. I mean, sir, I mean, almost all of these things are bad, that we're talking about are unfortunately bad for business or at the very least inconvenient. People would be happy to have it stop. But I said <coughs> – your best chance of implementing it is not only if it's the right thing to do, but if it's is pretty obviously the right thing to do. And that might mean trying to get as much information as up to date as possible from other parts of the world where things are going badly, let's say a little earlier than they would with us. Hopefully earlier enough we can learn and do some prevention or, or again, slowing down. I think most of the things we're talking about, are talking about slowing it down if we can keep the hospitals not so overflowing or better yet if we can come up given some time uh, before it becomes overwhelmingly common if we have time to develop some useful techniques against it. Uh, it is more realistic to think about this than it was in 1918. Okay. We do know more about infectious disease. We do know more about biomedicine. Now on the other side, you know, if there was a decisive thing that would have gotten the answer in 1918, people might have actually done it. And uh, today, I, I wouldn't guarantee that we would. We, there's all sorts of, you know, people are crazier than they were then, and I'm counting World War One, uh, uh, and which was fairly crazy in itself. Uh, the, uh, but you know, one thing is sometimes, you know, seeing uh, trouble come up roaring at you like a locomotive has been known to get people to think more sensibly. Yeah, so I really urge you, I mean, all the listeners, a, a bunch of you, you know, you probably all have Twitter accounts or something, use whatever, if you believe us, use whatever influence you have to try to get people to start taking drastic action. Well, again, when we're talking drastic, I'm not talking about saying, well, you know, like we should H-bomb a city so although they will die, at least they won't die of this. For example, right. I'm, I'm not advocating that. What I'm saying is uh, it you know look very closely at whether travel restrictions look like they would be a sensible thing. Look at the experience of other recent places that have done them or not done them. Uh, see, I mean, it may be that you know this we we that we can't stop it. I mean, for example, if it's already in a number of places in the United States, <coughs> it might not be possible. I don't know. Uh, but if we could and we could do it without you know paying you know, having vast bad things happen, it might well be sensible. Uh, and certainly, you know, trying to put a rush job, high priority on trying to develop, uh, uh, you know, some sort of uh, therapies or, or prevention. Uh, you know, if you spend as much as you possibly could, it wouldn't be all that much. Uh, there's, you know, if you, if you kept, had every biomedical research company in, in the country busy on it, I don't think it, you know, there's, it's, it's just not like, you know, like where we've taken, you know, most of the economy and do, it would be, it's still, that's, there's only so many people who know anything in this direction. If they were all busy on this, it would not cost a whole lot compared to other things, you know, compared to a war, compared to, uh, uh, you know, the everyday costs of government or anything. So, you know, a, a maximum effort, uh, and that might mean, for example, something as drastic as, uh, Cutting through some red tape, mm -hmm. uh, um, and and people have done this before when they felt urgent. I have read about what contracting was like for military things in the first couple of months after Pearl Harbor, and people would, you know, they say, "Here, here's a billion dollars, do some shit." I mean, 
I'm exaggerating, but previously there had been many rules, things were slow, etc., and they that changed. And I'm sure there were some inefficiencies that came from it, but it also got a lot of stuff done. I know so, one possible way to speed things up is I know in Europe and the United States, there's restrictions on using animals in medical experiments. You've got to get approval, and it can take a while. You could just maybe not worry about that for this virus. I'm sure we would get plenty of volunteers from PETA to take their place. <laughs> well... I mean, they they want to. They're surely for the greatest good of the greatest number, right? Uh, well, that way, I don't. The <laughs> I don't know if animal. By the way, if animal studies helped, I would be for that too. I am not utterly confident they would be helpful. I don't know how susceptible any of our standard lab animals are to this. They might be. I don't know. Uh, I haven't heard anybody say it yet. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's certainly a possible thing. Uh, and if we had, you know, if we had a bunch of pet guys, you know, chained chain themselves to the yeah. gate in front of the plant and we would very politely uh uh um okay i will pretend we will we would just un, un, unlock them and tell them to go have some uh, coffee somewhere and get over it or we could try something else at any rate the uh uh but you could uh by the way that's also a theme in science fiction i have seen uh we there was a a story by Jerry Parnell and Niven called uh, Lucifer's Hammer, in which oh yeah, I read that. Fragments of a comet hit the Earth, and and it's uncertain until the very end, partly because the comet is sort of disintegrating as it comes closer to the sun, and you don't know what fragments are going to do. You know, which is they exaggerated the uncertainty, but there would be some. So nobody mm -hmm. quite knows until the very day it hits. Uh, and there were. And this being Los Angeles back in the 70s, there were massive nut groups that were going around calling themselves the Comet Wardens, and they were uh, blocking highways and things, uh, uh, saying everybody should get out and pray that the uh, Comet won't hit. Then the Comet hits, mm -hmm. and they have made it very difficult for people to get out of town because they block traffic. Mm -hmm. And so everybody just you know, everybody knows they're doomed and they just climb out of their cars and they get their jackhammers and, and beat these guys to death right then and there. Uh, so, you know, that's one possible reaction. Uh, well, do the, you think there's a danger to civil order in the United States? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I don't I see think... any particular reason for it. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I can imagine things, but they all involve several things happening that have never happened yet. Like, let's suppose we had something that gave you complete protection from it, but it was scarce. Yeah. And, you know, sufficient that it was only available for senators who averaged 61.8 years old, um, Supreme Court justices, members of the House who are, who are 58 point something years old on average. In other words, it was, you know, it was something you needed, but other but only a few people could get it. Yeah, I, I guess I could. Have, but by the way, that's unlikely. Uh, you know, the general course of medical developments have been the best things in life are cheap. And yeah, low marginal cost. Uh, I mean, vaccines, they're cheap. Uh, and the impulse has been to give them to everyone. It's You can imagine cases like that, but I can't think of one that's happened in the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or if it did happen, it only happened for a very limited time. There was a very limited period in which we were working very hard at increasing the production of penicillin. And for a while, it was, you know, at the very beginning, you had just enough for a few experimental studies. And then, you know, and then it kept changing. You know, more people were eligible. There were people who figured out ways of cutting in line just because their brother was dying or something. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
and I would have a fair amount of sympathy for them. But the other problem is this whole period of shortage simply didn't last very long. People were very rapidly making progress. Uh, you know, by late 1944, they had enough for basically everything. Uh, civilians as well, you know, uh, allied civilians as well as, uh, American civilians, it, it was just growing so rapidly that although there was a brief period like this where you had something very valuable that not everybody could get, it, the, it didn't stay that way very long. Uh, uh, and most things are like that. Uh, again, it may change someday, but again, uh, you know, that's, you know, billionaires don't live a lot longer than anybody else. Uh, and sometimes when they're, they've gotten the bad habit of not listening to anybody since yeah. the, they live shorter times than other people would. Uh, yeah, as in, jobs, yeah. I would say that uh, if he'd had anybody in the world that was such that he could say, Steve, you're making a mistake, and, and that he would then have to listen to that person, he would have had a good chance of doing better. But apparently there was no – for him, there was no such person. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm, you know, maybe I, – I think there's a tendency you get used to people saying, yes, sir uh, – like if I had a health tip for uh, Bloomberg, mm -hmm. I and I said it with good evidence and every reason. I said, "Sir, you need to do this thing somewhat differently, or you'll be dead in six months." I don't guarantee that he listens. I mean, of course, he's also saying, "Who are you?" He's never heard of me. But yeah. Let's suppose I was a doctor, and the things I said would interfere with his running for president. Good chance he'd ignore it because the sort of anybody crazy enough to run for president is crazy enough to put it at a high priority. I mean, and again, we know historical well, examples. So let's guys. give him. Let's try. Let's give him advice. Bloomberg, the next debate, just talk about this virus. Say nothing else matters. You're all fools for not just talking about the coronavirus. And they ask you, you about sexually harassing women. Say how can you talk about that? A million Americans might die from this. This is what I'm going to do. I'm a leader. I'll fix this problem. That's what you should do. Become president. Well, I mean, I don't know if he, by the way, if he brought in the right people and listened to him, them, because, you know, he personally probably has no real knowledge or expertise in this area, but he could certainly afford to fire people. Look, he could, uh, I'd work for him. Well, uh, yeah, I'd work for him for enough money. Okay. I don't think it'd take that much. I mean, if it was, if I thought they'd listen and we'd save the day, I'd say, it's got to be done. Although I wouldn't tell them that, I'd ask them for a lot of money anyhow. But don't, but don't tell him. Don't tell him. None of you guys out there, don't tell him. Okay. But I would want to get the problem solved as much as I, I could contribute to. But you know, he could hire people like that. But I would say there's not a single person around him who even knows that this might actually be at this point the, the news, highest priority. They're, they're occasionally mentioning it. I mean, you know, if you he's Bloomberg News, I mean, the newspapers will have articles on, he it on the front page. He, he knows what goes into that. He wouldn't read that <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, by the way, it wouldn't be a crazy thing, particularly since his chances are not great probably doing whatever he is doing. Uh I mean, it's, really it's his natural a... impulse is to try to tell everybody how it's really important that we should give all the help everywhere on earth a pay cut, which is actually not the single most appealing. But if he said, you know, uh, it's my duty as a rich guy to do what it takes to try to help the world when the world's in trouble. Uh, and look, I could write the speech for him in the next 30 minutes. Uh, and and he said, and there's things we can do. And this has to be the first priority because the most important thing is even, you know, before all the other things we worry about, which are also important, is you got to be alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah I this, could, he could say that. Sure. There's an enormous political opportunity, and especially if you're probably going to lose unless something really breaks your way. This is 
This is it. This is what you should be doing. So you're so desperate you have to do something that actually makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that... uh, well, and the other thing is he might say, well, but maybe this thing will fade out. And I said, well, don't worry. You're going to lose anyhow, and you won't have done any great harm because you know none of the things we're talking about, even if you did do them, like suppose we blew $5 billion on focused medical research into this. I said, yeah, well, I mean, what is that, the fifth decimal place in the American deficit or something? Uh, I mean, it's not – I mean – it wouldn't be absolutely free, but it's a small thing compared to the benefits it might give. Yeah. Okay. Is... I mean, I mean, look, I mean, and everything has some cost. If we did this, we probably have somebody who stays up all night over the summer and and his wife divorces him because he was working so hard on this, and it didn't. Maybe we turned out we didn't need it, or you know, maybe well, he would have been working on a different medical problem. Yeah, that's the major cost. Is it will be shifting everything, scientists. Everything. Nothing in this life is free. But if we like diverted people whose normal job was seeing if. Uh, you know, if this new cosmetic burns out the eyes of bunnies, yeah, I mean, I, I could live with that for a little while. Uh, I know it's important that we get new non, non-acid uh, uh, mascara. But uh, at any rate, the point is it could be done. It wouldn't be a disaster if you were wrong. That's always something to think about. When you try to think like a small C conservative, if I do X and I'm not right, what's the worst case? That's an important thing to think about. But it strikes me that most of the things we're talking about – uh, I mean, like if things suddenly got better, they could all be reversed on a moment's notice. If you have travel restrictions and then people say, again, we found out that some common household substance is a complete cure. Yeah. Okay. They said, okay, drop the travel restrictions. That's fine. I mean, I wasn't getting off on it. It, it seemed necessary. If it's not necessary, we'll stop it. Uh, so I mean, by the way, I don't think this is terribly likely, but I'm just saying it's good to have uh, a path that takes you from you know, a draconian policy back. And it, and, and it should be easy. And we could always talk about this as well. If this turns out not to be a big deal, it's practice because eventually there's going to be something that is a big deal like this. Well, particularly if you think of the larger set of things, not just of viral diseases, but, you know, there are other things, uh, you know, maybe you have to worry about, again, about fragments of a comet hitting the earth. Maybe you have to worry about, you know, some other kind of natural disaster that it would be good to be prepared for. Or bioterrorism. I mean, that's a serious risk. Well, you know, I could think of one or two things to do, but I think the number of things that you could do with that are limited because it's hard for us to – we have to know enough to be able to make or alter natural things in a way that made them a lot worse. And I suppose some people know something about it, but, I mean, to me, the worst thing you could do is just if somebody had smallpox and re-released it. Mm-hmm. But even then, we – and there, despite ourselves, we actually do have some tools ready right now. Uh, the government has vaccine. The reason the government has vaccine is there was a, a co- private company that had it in their freezer, and after the government and the UN had thrown all of theirs away because they were bored with keeping it in the freezer, yeah. this private company uh, uh, said uh, – Sirs, we have 150 million doses in the freezer. Uh, would you were to, would you like to? We hear you're interested again. Now that you, <laughs> would you like to have them? And they said, Oh, okay. Now they they studied them enough to say they found out dilution by two looks like it'll work. Okay, so you have 300 million doses, a very useful number. Okay, yeah. uh, and well, this is the system works. They said, except there is no system. 
you notice there was not one step in any of that where, you know, the secret masters who are planning, you know, all sorts of deep rational things that the head of the United States acted because there are no such people. OK, or if they exist, they're all making podcasts or something. You know, <laughs> none of them run things. But uh, uh, but that one we would be ready for. And I think actually some other people would be as well. Uh, uh, and actually and it would be actually. Without that, it would be effective. Smallpox is a very dangerous disease uh, and would spread easily. In mod- yeah, again, modern conditions have made things worse in terms of spreading. It's the very – the fast, long-distance travel speeds up all the, you know, all the risks. Mm-hmm. I mean, even railroads and things back in World War I and steamships speeded up the risk uh, uh, you know, faster than they had been in, in earlier times. Uh, and you know, there are certainly people who have worried about this, and I mean, are similar things. Some of them very similar. Uh, I mean, people have done simulations and exercises against things of this general sort. Uh, but uh, I mean, the Chinese are willing, you know, to push people around. And again, they're probably all too willing to push people around. But in this case, it could be useful. But I said, even in China, I think it's got to be coupled with an effort to develop a treatment because I don't think they can. They can't shut down their whole economy forever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and they're saying, well, we're going to release it. I said, even if you had completely wiped it out inside China, which I doubt is this the case, since it is now spreading to other places, it would just spread back. So, mm-hmm. although what they're doing is not crazy, it has to be coupled with a with a <coughs> essentially a crash program to develop ways of treating it. I think they're doing some things. I don't know how much. Mm-hmm. Or how effectively? Uh, I mean, if you're talking biomedical knowledge, there's more in England than there is in China, and there's more in the United States than there is in England. I mean, if you look at things like who are the leading edge guys doing research and things like infectious diseases, genetics, more is done in these places. Let's see if they can use this on an, on an, you know a real practical problem. I would say there's a reasonable chance. Uh, Again, if I knew the exact answer, I would tell everybody. But I, I can only say that if we, you know, we have to throw moderate amounts of money at something so we don't have anything else to throw. Uh, I mean, as I said, you have to get a therapy or a prevention. Uh, probably, you know, trying to restrict movement by itself is not something you can do forever. Yeah. I mean, oh, we, we certainly could, I imagine, in, improve airlines in terms of how easy it is to catch a virus when someone you know, in the plane, we could do something with the filters and I don't know, or just making everyone like wash their hands before they get on the plane. Like you go through security, then they wash you, wash your, wash your hands with soap and water and you get on the plane. I wonder if that we, would we, we could just a turn a, big difference. We could just turn a fire hose on all the passengers before they get in because well, I think that would be fun. <laughs> it, it would be if you're not a flyer. But again, wouldn't just making people walk away, you know, that's part of the routine. You, you know, you, you go to the sink, you don't touch anything, you just your hands get wet, you put soap on it. and that's You know, some of do. these things are easier to talk about than to make people do. I mean, for example, we could, uh, there mean, are that... standard rules about surgeons washing their hands. Yeah. And, and they have a lot don't. of trouble getting uh, – they don't get super high compliance. Uh, some places have improved it more recently. And, again, they're worried about things like uh, – antibiotic resistant bacteria and things but i remember reading about a uh, there was a a conference of surgeons and what they had done was they had what was it somehow in the bathroom if you didn't wash your hands after going to the uh bathroom they they had guaranteed that 
you would have something that would glow under ultraviolet light would be on your hands from something. Maybe it was something, the food they given you or something. And yeah, it was a way of testing if you'd properly wash their hands. And then at a certain point in the lecture, they turn off the lights and they turn on the, the black lights overhead and half of the guy's hands are glowing. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard. I mean, even when when they all know it's the right thing to do, it's hard to get people to do it. Uh, it may be worth a, it may be worth a shot. I mean, and um, there are other things which I don't even know if they're helpful. I don't really know if things like these masks are helpful. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about that. that they I'm might, not sure. They might if do they, a better job at stopping you from infecting someone else than stopping you from getting infected. That could still be a good thing, but it's yeah. not what people were aiming at. Uh, so uh, I would say the right thing for Trump to do. And, you know, and I don't think he's ideological enough that if if somebody could make it clear to him, this is a real threat and here are some things we could do. I said, I think and I could be wrong. My thought is he'd say, well, I guess we should do them then. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that would be true of the majority of normal or even even professional politicians. But they don't. I mean, the average professional politician, let's let's talk about uh, uh, Bloomberg. He's not a professional politician, but he's you know, he's making an expensive stab at it. Right. Why don't why haven't any of these things occurred to him? I said it's not something he's ever been interested in. It's not something essentially that anyone around him has ever been interested in. Have they read, you know, five different histories of the nineteen eighteen flu? No. Do they know about you know the uh have have they read f- another five about the Black Plague and a number of research articles? Are they interested in it? No. Are they, are they interested in the Antonine Plague or the Plague of Cyprian? Have they ever heard of the English sweat that was a super deadly thing that swept across England three or four times in the 1500s? Have they ever heard about the pneumonic plague? I mean, even the time it hit San Francisco. Have they, you know, have they ever heard about yellow fever in Philadelphia or 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 uh, I think it was Nashville, uh, some town in uh, uh you know, in the 1870s in, in Tennessee, where you know it kills half the people in the town. It's like those are just stories people make up. They're too awful to really be true. I mean, we have not had something like this in a long time. Uh, this, I mean, or rather, the closest is the AIDS spread, but that was qualitatively different. It was spread sexually. You didn't have to worry about people sneezing across the room or anything. And the other thing is, it was much slower. It took, yeah. You know, what this is doing in weeks, that was doing in years. Uh, yeah. Well, you'd so, think the military would have planned for bioterrorism. Uh, I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing that's something that would have occurred to them. And they are obviously used to dealing with threats that probably won't happen. I haven't heard of anything, you know, super insightful they've done, but I'm, you know, maybe I, I don't really know. Uh, I. Uh, the last only thing I really heard is they're making places to intern people while they're being quarantined, which that we have something that's it's it's well. And also, it's I think in a lot of cases it just means designating a certain base that isn't used very much. Perhaps it has some housing that's currently not being used, something like that. I don't think you have to do a whole lot. I mean, does the army have the capability to say we, we create, you know, we can double the number of of specialized nurses for X. I said, well, they probably do have the capability, but they don't know that they do. I mean, if we, as I said, if you were, suppose we were saying, we want to train a bunch of nurses who would can run a ventilator mm-hmm. and be reasonable and tell somebody else, look, uh, the guy's having trouble. We need to try something. All right. Could you teach people that very specialized thing in a time that's that's available? I said, maybe. I don't know. 
It's possible, though. It's a, it, we're not trying to teach them to be a whole doctor and how to treat many different things. We're trying to say, can you do supportive things? Like we might need more people to do that for mm-hmm. a short time. Could we do that? I said, in World War II, we did do things like that, although we had a little while to ramp up to it. But I, I think I mentioned the example once that we could train somebody to be the electrician on a submarine in six weeks. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, it was a moderately complicated job. And he didn't know everything, but he knew enough to solve a certain class of problems. Could we do that again? I said, yeah. When will we have to start? I said, today. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone, I think it's hard for the people, for most people, including the people at the top, to believe seriously in things they've never seen once in their lives. And they haven't. I mean, the close, mm-hmm. what's the... I mean, as I said, AIDS felt different. It was over years. It only hit certain small subgroups. Or what what would Bloomberg remember? I said he might remember people being scared of polio in the 50s. Yeah. I remember it, and I was only a little kid. He could remember it if he was, you know, 10 years older. Uh, but, you know, there are many things. Uh, I mean, we have done well. We've, we've done better. We haven't had many of these things. But, uh, uh, well... You know, like when I, I, I mentioned in my blog about the guys who made, you know, who kept the flu from ever coming to American Samoa. One of the things they had going for them is there had been other flu epidemics that had hit Samoa and also other diseases that had hit the locals very hard, harder than other people. And so you had recent memories, you know, like 20 years ago, such that the local chiefs of the Samoans said, we don't want to see that again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like when Peter Turkin talks about there's a period of a of a generation or so after a really big thumping war in which the people in on top said no more of that. You know, they're they're reluctant to start a war, but it's it's not logic; it's personal experience that yeah. you know, like why were guys after the Civil War not look constantly looking for a war to start? I said because they've been there. Not, but reading a book about it is for most people. I mean, by the way, for some people, it is enough. Uh, so, for example, in the 30s, von Neumann was saying, you know, the Germans are going to end up doing truly horrible things. He was saying this early in the 30s. And people were saying, no, they're the most cultured country in Europe. That'll never happen. And then von Neumann would start quoting word for word the Melian dialogue when, uh, uh, you know, talking about when the uh, Athenians were talking nice. about exterminating an entire re- rebel population. Yeah. Uh, and he said, and and they were certainly the most cultured people in Greece. He said, but that's the point is he, and he might have been had a few other strengths too, but he could take the past seriously without having to have necessarily lived through it. That's actually an unusual thing. Well, you're talking about econ terms as adaptive expectations rather than rational expectations. This is in terms of what you think is going to happen with inflation. With adaptive expectations, you base it on your past experience with rational expectations, you just take into account all available information. And you're Most saying people we, don't. Yeah, I mean, you're saying we have adaptive I mean, expectations you were saying, for right, danger. So which of the democratic people of the candidates running have said, I can, I can be the guy who offers the right answer on this, and it may be that that will make people take me more seriously in six weeks, assuming, by the way, that they're still around in six weeks because I guess we have sort of a compressed primary schedule. But – yeah, it wouldn't be a crazy thing to do. It wouldn't well, even be an evil thing to do because it really is a problem. And especially but, with this contest, um, contested convention, 
it's it's which is likely you could imagine elizabeth warren says it no one takes her seriously she runs out of money she drops out then no one gets a majority and they're like oh wait a minute she's the one who said this maybe she's the one we should turn to uh she's not no one has to drop out before there's no rule that says you do Um, apparently from what i've read if you don't have enough money to pay your staff you can't you know getting to places it just looks kind of pathetic so well it may look pathetic but you don't actually have to do it by the way if you consider you know this thing looks like it hits older people much harder yeah okay considering the general uh uh age of the people running this I mean, this, by the way, is probably an argument that would have some people say, yes, yes, we need this virus to it. Uh, but it's entirely possible you see a whole bunch of new people. Uh, uh, so, yeah, here's an argument for the left. Do you want Donald Trump to appoint two new Supreme Court justices because of this virus, because we don't take it seriously? That could easily happen, given the age of Supreme Court justices. Well, it could. It could anyhow, because, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, th- this, it- is, this is a weaker version of the same thing. Uh, uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg has had, you know, multiple tumors show up. You know, that meant not right. one, so it's at least some spread happened to happen in her lungs. And then she had a pancreatic tumor, and before that, she had another tumor. The and people saying, "Oh no, she's perfectly cured." The answer is probably she's not. Yeah, There's she's probably the, desperately trying to hang on, hoping a Democrat wins the election. And, I'm just saying, I have seen hmm. people before, and it wasn't necessarily. Uh, well, I mean, remember Paul Songus? Yeah, yeah. He... Well, Paul Songus had uh, some sort of lymphoma, mm-hmm. and then he got treated, and he told everybody, he says, I'm cured. But what his doctor told him is, says, you have a good remission, mm-hmm. which means probably it'll come back. Maybe it won't. You know, you, you know, you're in good shape for this year or whatever. But they never told him he was cured because they didn't know it. And I don't think they lied to him. And I'm not even sure he'd do – I think it was like he was hearing what he wanted to hear. I mean yeah. I think he was self-deceptive. I think it's a very common thing, okay? But it was not gone, and it came back a few years later and killed him. I mean it wasn't that many. Uh, I mean and you could have said similar things when you started hearing, oh, this, you, you know, you've been treated for melanoma, but you're doing great, Mr. McCain. Mm-hmm. Well, the odds are the odds are poor for – Essentially, everybody in that situation, melanoma is a very aggressive disease. And even if you think you've got it, you think you've got, you've dealt with it, probably you haven't. Or at least, you know, the probability is significant. So there is this thing which people who are fans of a particular person, let alone the person himself, who's often a fan of himself, they managed mm-hmm. to reinterpret all the statistic rules, said, well, yes, but in my case, and the answer right. is, uh, I mean, I think they're doing that with Ginsburg. I think her health is pretty poor. I mean, it doesn't help that she's old. Yeah, and it helps none of us. But uh, you know, repeated cancer—it's a very ominous sign. The simplest case, the the, the surprise-free prediction is she's got something that's metastasizing from somewhere. I don't know where, but you know, that's usually what it means when you have multiple ones. I mean, unless you're just the unluckiest person mm-hmm. on earth. So, but you know, but that's another kind. I mean. Look, in a sense, people are saying that for the whole country. I don't think the country has the equivalent of cancer, but they may be in for trouble. And a lot of people, it seems to me, are saying, but if I just whistle a happy tune, it'll all be fine. And I think you can think of many examples in history where people have done that, and it didn't usually work. Uh, Although, by the way, sometimes it does work because it's also true that, you know, there's been times in which you said, well, here's this enemy army, and I thought they were going to get me, and – then they ended up fighting somebody else or they had a 
you know, they ended up having a civil war or they caught a, a disease and were wiped out before they had a chance to get here. Things do happen. But I, uh, I think most of the things we're talking about, if we started doing things to try to reduce risk, they're not going to kill us all. They're not infinitely expensive. Uh, and therefore, they should be done. But mm-hmm. I, I, I said, I think our only hope is if we get a very clear picture of things and somewhere else first. Mm-hmm. And I'm not too optimistic. Well, about well, at least there's an advantage of social media where we'll be getting, we're already getting some videos from China. We'll get a lot from South Korea. Things. I would like there. something to be clear. And I mean, one of the problems with anything like social media is there's a lot of made up stuff mixed in with other things, mistaken mm-hmm. stuff, but, stuff like stuff that is real, but unrepresentative. What you really need is the sort of guys who were doing, who were doing intelligence in World War II, they said, how much have we hurt German war production? And they're trying to get an answer on a detailed but complicated thing. They're I mean, not, it's not, you don't start out with one picture of, of one building collapsed. You no, you're, you're have right to make for, a picture. If for rational decision-making, that's what we would want. But if we want to change the political situation, then it's probably the small number of emotionally impactful videos that will have the biggest effect. <sighs> Well, the problem is that you could probably make those up about something that hadn't, wasn't even very real. Uh, yeah, like Satanists are kidnapping our children. I mean, that's something we all panic oh, about. We all? Well, America. Not me. I thought they were crazy. Well. And unfortunately, they're still crazy. Uh, but yes, oh, no. well, those were two different things. We had a belief that something like a quarter of all children, a million a year was the number used. They said were being kidnapped. Yes. And since there's only 4 million born a year, that means ultimately a fourth of all children are, are going to be kidnapped over their childhood. But that's insane. That was just nonsense. And it went on and on and right. on and on. Many prominent columnists were writing about it and but they were let's unable learn to from notice. that panic. And how can we build that kind of fear for something that we really should be afraid of? How can we identify the most innumerate columnists and put them in a home? Uh, the I, or, answer, it was almost all of them. That story yeah. ended up getting busted by a girl who was a journalism major at, at, in uh, uh, Fullerton, uh, you know, at, at one of the uh, Cal State colleges. She just bothered to look. Uh, by the way, no, there's not a million. The real number of people actually kidnapped by strangers was like 4,000 or something like that. Or there was in around the same time. Uh, there was also the, you know, uh, the satanic preschool thing that went all over the country. It created all kinds of political yeah. careers for people, you know, like uh, what's her name in Massachusetts, Coakley? Yeah, she almost became senator. Right, uh, and many other places. Uh, 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 and it was all completely mad as a hatter. Uh, yep. And then there was uh, – this was another relatively innocent one. Somebody wrote an article talking about uh, – 90,000 young women suffering from, uh, what was it, uh, anorexia nervosa, you know, mm-hmm. people who starve themselves. Uh, and somebody else made a slight change. It was 90,000 a year dying of that, well, which is more than a slight change that turned out. And again, many articles about it until somebody pointed out the actual number. It is not unknown to have mm-hmm. some people because sometimes you're going to end up with heart damage and things from this. And yeah. it, perhaps as many as 90 people a year. But there's a subtle difference between 90 and 90,000. But yeah. it went on for months with none of the columnists noting it. By the way, this is another problem when people have no number sense in their head at all. 
That's mm-hmm. another thing that probably interferes with thinking about geometric growth, mm-hmm. because you know, because for one thing, you know, their model is probably one, two, three, many. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, like uh, I don't think that most people even like if we had. A, I think some numbers have a resonance to them. If we heard that the number of people dead in China was a million, I think they might there you know, they might finally notice. But uh, they can't extrapolate a curve. And I mean, they, it's just not, it's not them. Uh, I mean, all right, name the person in American politics of who we've ever heard of who would say, oh my God, it's geometric growth. I can see where this is going to happen. Can you think of anybody? A single, a single person anywhere. I'll let you throw in columnists, writers. I wonder if you could persuade Mitt Romney. I mean, he's relatively sharp, I think. No, he isn't. You know, why don't you have him talk to you about how, you know, the interesting custom in France of having, uh, you know, two-year temporary marriage licenses? Because he's talked about it. Because, you know, he was a Mormon missionary in France. But there's mm-hmm. only one problem with that. It doesn't exist. All right. Well. He's just as nuts as everybody else in Washington. He doesn't know anything. All right. Keep trying. By the way, there probably have been people, uh, maybe not in this generation, uh, Oh, well, Ted Cruz, he is, at least for a lawyer, he's, I mean, he must have a genius IQ from what I know of his legal career. I don't know as much about it. I, I guess I could imagine it, but I don't know enough about it. In terms of people, I expect to have solid pictures or to realize they need to reach out to experts and get them on subjects. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see it. Do you see it? Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, if it was true, I wouldn't see it. So that's Oh, all. you would a little bit. I mean, you have somebody at least say something sensible once in a while. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, if we were sensible, would we have been doing the same thing in Afghanistan for 18 years? I don't think yeah. so. Uh, uh, well, then, yeah, then Trump's being sensible with Afghanistan or trying to be at least. Well, he's trying to be, but everybody else in Washington wants not to be. They said, you know, like if we if we don't control it, although I, I – all right, I am now going to stick my neck out and cause trouble. Uh, you know, uh, the only source of lapis lazuli mm-hmm. is a mine in Afghanistan. Yes. And I'd like to point out no one has ever built a working quantum computer without using lapis lazuli. Because they've never built a working quantum computer. Or? Well, there, yeah, there is that, yes. But, uh, right. but I have now given all the people who want to stay in Afghanistan a hallucinatory talking point. Don't be surprised if you start seeing it. <laughs> all right. We should probably though um, wrap it up. So okay. We we strongly advise anyone you know to do what you can to try to spread the word that we should be taking some precautions right now. When you have something that spreads exponentially and there's enormous value in slowing it down. The, so, the key phrase is step on it before it multiplies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and other than that, let's all hope for good luck because we're going to need it. Okay. All right. Well, well, thanks very much, Greg.